following audio is from a sermon series entitled Practicing the Way of Jesus, a study on the Sermon on the Mount. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit scmoline.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 7, 24 to 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. This is the word of the Lord. For the last several months, we've been preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it's the, uh, perhaps the most prolific discourse throughout human history, where Jesus takes up on a mountainside some of his followers, and says this is what the good life looks like. This is what it looks like to live a life of human flourishing, a life that is lived close to God. And so we've been sitting here beneath the preaching of Jesus' words through the last several months, listening to what he has to say as he casts this vision for the good life, right, which is really like at the core of it. What Jesus is getting at is a whole person orientation, a whole person alignment to God, which leads us into human flourishing. In fact, what he's trying to show us is that there is no other way to accomplish human flourishing without this wholehearted alignment to God. And as he casts this vision for what it looks like, there's, there's a lot of beauty in it, in, in the fact of this relationship that we gain with God, Right, he, he teaches us, hey, we can pray to our heavenly father. He has this really personal, fatherly relationship that never before has really been offered to us. In fact, if you go back through the Old Testament, every time you see the word father, or Israel referring to God as father, it's a corporate identity, not a personal identity. And Jesus is saying that you, child of God, on an individual level, reach out to your father who's in heaven. We do it together as a community, of course, but there's this individual thing, and as we align ourselves to our Father, there's this overflow. So as the vertical is reoriented towards God, there's this horizontal spillover. That relationships and and the act of being in this life changes, that God filters his way into every aspect of our life. He's casting this vision for what this good life looks like, right? The pathway to human flourishing. the, the previous chapter or so, right around chapter seven, Jesus has been casting this vision and then chapter seven comes along and then Jesus starts giving these words of warning. There's words of admonition here, words of caution where he's saying, listen guys, this is kind of a big deal. Like, like you've gotta hear him out. Like what he's saying matters. It's not just some sort of like take it or leave it, some sort of a thing like that. Jesus has, has been showing us like there's really only two paths. There's only two options with what you'll do with Jesus' words, with Jesus himself. In one case, he taught us, you know, you're either gonna be a good tree that produces good fruit or you're gonna be a bad tree that produces bad fruit. You're either gonna be on the narrow path which leads to life or the wide path that leads to destruction. There are gonna be some people who come to Jesus thinking that they belong to him and Jesus, they'll say, he'll say to him, 
depart from me, I never knew you. See, Jesus is saying there's a way that you can think that you're, you're living the good life. You can think that you have this relationship with God and be missing out. And in this final passage, which is where we're at right here, we're, we're really concluding the words of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We got one more week in this series, but this is the last bit of what Jesus is preaching. He's, he's giving us a call to action. He's asking this question, what are you going to do with my words? And really, that's a question that I want to present to you this morning. What do you do with Jesus and his words? What is the role that they play in your life? Do you believe them wholeheartedly? Like you, you put your trust on them that they're so foundational that you actually build your life upon what he teaches, upon Jesus himself? Or there's a lack of trust. It might be a partial trust. It might be some sort of, that Jesus is some sort of auxiliary piece in your life. He's not the foundation, but maybe he is a fixture in your life, but not the foundation. Or in some cases, maybe you just completely ignore. You think Jesus is irrelevant. You have this sort of, I can take it or leave it posture. And again, Jesus comes down to this. There are two options He shows us in this passage as we get into verses 24 through 27, he says there are two kinds of builders. There are two kinds of foundations. There are two kinds of outcomes. And the question is, which one are you? So let's turn back to these verses and I'll I'll read them once again and we'll start unpacking the two builders, two foundations, two outcomes. Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the winds came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Now, Jesus is saying here there are two kinds of builders. It's not just that there there are some who build and those who don't. Everybody is building their life on something. Everyone's building a life for themselves. And the question is, are you a wise builder or are you a foolish builder? Now this passage is showing us the difference between the two. Now on a base level here, we can say a wise builder has some degree of thoughtfulness has some degree of diligence, of being well-measured, right? You're not gonna hire a contractor who's really willy-nilly about his plans, right? If you do that, you're gonna end up with a toilet right next to your kitchen sink, It's like, oh yeah, well the plumbing was already here so I just put it, you know, made sense. It's like, no, it didn't make sense. Now the same is true with building your life. As we build your lives, there's there's two kinds of builders in the sense that they're active and passive builders. Here's what I mean by that. The passive builders sort of, they sort of inherit and adopt whatever's been given to them. Now this could be from their parents, right? 
you see this, you grew up in the church and you're sort of accustomed to the churchy language and vocabulary and sort of the whole rigmarole of, of a Sunday gathering and what church life is, and, and you don't really make that personal ownership, you sort of just adopt it for yourself. That, that's one way to be passive. But another way, which I think is probably more prominent within our society, is you just sort of adopt the culture's idea of what the good life is. Like you, you don't examine things, you don't ask questions about is this really the best way to live, is this really the wisest decision, you sort of just, everybody's doing it, like lemmings to the sea. I had a, a high school teacher that always said, you guys are like lemmings to the sea. You just watch somebody do something stupid and you follow them and then it's boom, everybody's doing something stupid. Like, you know what lemmings are? Like, they're little critters that one of them, some, somehow they get appointed, like there's one leader and they literally lose their minds and they jump off an edge of a cliff and everyone follows them. And that's kind of what the, the passiveness of, I'm just sort of in with the flow of the culture. I'm in, I've adopted some sort of, uh, of worldview perspective with little question. Whereas the active builder is more thoughtful. Okay, this is somebody who, who has an appreciation for skillful design. They're the person that asks themselves questions, is this the best way to orient my life? They examine things, they, they ask the critical questions, not to be a cynic, but actually in pursuit of truth and reason. See, see these active builders tend to be more thoughtful, right? They don't just adopt, they critique it and work through some of the implications. But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't make the distinguish, uh, doesn't distinguish the, the passive builder as the fool, although there are some foolish tendencies, and the wise builder as the active builder. He actually says being an active builder doesn't necessarily equate you to being a wise builder. So you could, you could spend all the time in Barnes & Noble, their self-help section, sifting through the best techniques, ways to orient your life and do this and do that, listening to all kinds of different podcasts and, and, and critical thinkers who are bringing these big ideas. You could be giving yourself to all of that, all of the act, all the skillful design and still be a fool. You could build a great life for yourself, a mansion, something that people look at and say, well, that person really has it all together. And Jesus says, you could still be a fool. Now how is this? The question of being a wise or foolish builder rides on what is your foundation? What is the foundation in which you've built your house, your life upon? Now here's, here's what we need to see in this passage. That from everything that this passage tells us, the wise builder and the foolish builder have both built the same exact house. From the outside, they look the same. They've got a good family life, they've got a good work, you know, they've got a good job, they've got some good friendships, they've got this, they've got that. I mean, like, there's a lot of parallels between the foolish builder and the wise builder. Their houses could be the same. In fact, the, the foolish builder might even build a better looking house. Like from the outside, it just looks better. It's bigger, got more additions. But Jesus says that if the foundation is anything but himself and his words, then that's a sign of a foolish builder. 
See, the wise builder builds his house, builds his life upon Jesus and his words. The foundation, right, the bedrock of their life, the most integral part of the house is Jesus. It's the foundation, why is that? Now, years ago, my wife and I, we were shopping for our first house, and we found this house that we kinda liked um, in a neighborhood uh, that, you know, it was all right, and we're like walking through it, and this house is awesome, we like it a lot, we could see ourselves here. We get down to the basement and we see this giant crack running through the foundation. And our realtor's like, you guys do not want this house. Now the house, we could envision ourselves in it. Right? It fit what we were looking for at the time, but the foundation was corrupt. There was something wrong with the foundation that would have led to the disaster that inevitably, inevitably would have come. See, the foundation of a house determines its outcome. The foundation of the house will determine if this house will stand or if it'll fall, not if, but when the storms will come. Now, I'm pretty sure that house probably survived the whole derecho thing that we had. You know, remember that whole ordeal where wasn't that wild? Can you believe that happened? It's like we literally had a hurricane move through the Midwest. Crazy, in 2020. I'm pretty sure that house is still standing, but listen, I don't, in, unless something drastic happens to fix that foundation, who knows how long, right? Maybe, maybe the, I don't know, maybe the basement caved in, right? Eventually, the wind, the rain, the elements will push that foundation to its limit and will lead to devastation. It's because the foundation will determine the outcome. Will the house stand or will it fall. And Jesus is saying that your life is a lot like a house, that that you have a foundation, whether you're aware of it or not. Your life is built on something. Now, the foundation of your life is what you trust most. It's the thing that you look at and say, here's what I'm fixed on. Here's the non-negotiable things in my life that I have to have. Everybody has a foundation. So the question then is, is it a good one? Right? Is your house built on a rock or is it built on sand? Is it built on gravel? See, only Jesus, he, he's saying, look, guys, Jesus is the only sure foundation that's available to you. That's what he, the only certain foundation that will lead you through, that'll get you through, that'll uphold you through all of life's storms is Jesus. He's the cornerstone, he's the foundation, he's the solid rock in which we stand. And so we, we, he's calling us, hey, put your trust, build your life on me. Now some of us might say, well, of, of course, the foundation of my life is Jesus. Right? I, I walked the aisle, I prayed that prayer, I went to church camp and I had that experience, so of course my foundation is Jesus. Of course my, my life is built on him and, and instead of looking to that, that, instead of looking to the present moment in which how our life is currently functioning, how it's built in this present moment, we instead point to the, to the past and say, there was this one time where I did that one thing, therefore the foundation must be secure. And I wanna graciously and lovingly tell you that just because you can point to the past 
and say, hey, I made this one-time decisive decision doesn't mean that the totality of your life is built upon Jesus. Jesus might be a piece of the foundation, but not the whole of the foundation. And if that's the case, you have to ask yourself, well then what is my life functionally built on? Like right now, what is my functional foundation? What am I putting my trust in? Where does my hope lie? Where does my sense of security come from? What is that functional foundation that I have? And so we have to ask ourselves, what is it? Like identifying that functional foundation. How, how do we do that then? How do we identify this functional foundation? Let me just ask you some diagnostic questions here. And I, I want you to think, I don't want you to think about the person in your missional community right now. I want you to think about yourself. What is your life built on right now? What consumes your thoughts when you have nothing else to think about? What do you get the most excited about? What gives you a sense of peace and security? What do you fight to defend and protect the most? That if somebody were to call this part of your life into question, you just, mama bear stuff would pop up and you're ready to attack, you're ready to defend. What's the thing that gives you Life, a sense of vitality. I think this is like the, the blow of them all. What's the thing or the person in your life that if they were removed would totally devastate you? It might be your marriage, it might be a close friendship, your career your kids, might be money, sort of political identity. Like it could literally be any of these things. I, it could be your own capabilities, right? I, I'm a competent person, and my life is built on my competencies. And in those moments, whether it's your relationships, your kids, your friends, your marriage, your career, money, politics, these things are functioning as your foundation. That's where your hope, that's where your trust rests on in that moment. It gives you a sense of stability until it doesn't. See, that, that's why we find them to be a functional foundation because in the moment, in this moment of, of time, even if it's just a short window or maybe it's a long window, this gives me a sense of security, a sense of peace, a sense of like my life is being held together. So it'll hold until it doesn't. And everything that's not Jesus will at one point or another start to break down. And it's when the storms of life come that the vulnerabilities of these foundations are exposed. Right, the wind pushes up against it the, the, the water saturates the ground until the earth gives way and the foundation loses its stability and it starts to sink and collapse. And one day you might wake up and your whole life feels like it's in shambles. 
you lose your job, right? If, if your whole foundation was the fact that you had a steady and secure job, it gave you meaning, you lose your job, you get laid off, there's, there's budget cuts, and you have to be the excess that gets cut off, what do you do then, right? If that's where your identity, your sense of purpose, your sense of security comes from, what about a sudden death? Like, I mean, and maybe it's not even sudden. You just get up in old age and you lose your spouse. Now, there's a sense of grief that will inevitably come with that, 100%. But there's a difference of grieving a good gift, feeling the loss of that, and feeling the total ransack of a house collapsing. There's a big difference. Could be moral failure. Your marriage falls apart. Either you can't hold up your covenant or your, your spouse can't hold up their covenant or your kid does something that just makes you want to disown them, right? Completely shifts y- y- your view of them. You experience some sort of messy harbor. It's just not a question of if the storms will come, but when they will and to what extent that they come. And when those storms come, the foundation begins to crumble, and if your house, if your life is built on those things, you will crumble with them. That's what Jesus is saying in verse 27. Anyone who hears, or excuse me, 26, anyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Now, the question, I guess, is why would these things fall? Like, if they're able to give us some sort of momentary stability, some some momentary upholding of our lives, why would these things collapse on us? And the answer to that question is because these good gifts, your kids, your marriage, your work, money, these good gifts were not meant to be the foundation of your life. They cannot bear the weight of your life being pressed upon them. It's too much pressure. Too much pressure pushing down, and it's either the storm that's gonna ransack it, right? The storm's gonna expose the vulnerability of it, or the sheer weight of the house that's resting upon them will bring it down. And eventually, it'll begin to crumble and deteriorate and lose stability, and before you know it, if if your life, your house isn't moved onto a different foundation, your life will go down with it. Now let's, let's think through how this practically works itself out. Let, let's take, for example, your spouse, right? A lot of people in this room are married. It's pretty relevant. We can say, we can look at this and say, all right, there's a difference between building my life with my spouse and building my life on my spouse. Very different. If you build on your spouse, saying that this person is my bedrock, this person's my foundation, this person's my all in all, you will put upon them a pressure which they cannot sustain. You're essentially asking your spouse to be Jesus, to be your savior, to be your deliverer for you. And they cannot live up to those expectations. Now, the same goes for your kids, too. Like, you you can make your kids your foundation. You can put those expectations on your kids and expect them to sort of sustain you and hold you up. And then before you know it, the, the, the pressure of it, the weight of it, crushes them. You've become too needy, over-dependent. You start smothering them and overwhelming them. It feels like they're being quenched, that there's, they're just being stifled out. The pressure is too much. 
that it's literally impossible for them to uphold you. See, if your life is built on your spouse and something catastrophic happens to that marriage, to that relationship, that will put you in a tailspin like that. Right, and and it might be, in small ways, it might be in a big way, right? Small ways, your spouse says something that's just a little bit critical, and it could be, be critical in, in like the most genuine and compassionate way, they say but then it just like crushes you. Or something catastrophic, right? There, there, there's an extramarital affair going on. Something that just puts your life in a tailspin to the point where you can't see past this moment. Like this, this, the catastrophe of this moment seems so severe, so dominated that you can't see past it, that your life just feels like it, it's in the pit. And this is more than the normal heartbreak that I was talking about before, right? More than that normal grief, it's an utter disorientation. You can't tell which way's up, which way's down. It's like shell shock. I've been watching these Avenger movies, and it's like every time there's a big explosion, you, you know that ringing that's in the ear, you see them kind of like... That's what it feels like, this, this complete disorientation. All your senses are shook up. But if Jesus is your foundation, if Jesus is the, the bedrock of your life and your marriage is built upon it and that marriage takes some blows, then you can still see how Jesus is gonna uphold you. You can still see how Jesus will sustain you through every trial and tribulation that might come within the context of that marriage. Now, it doesn't make it any easier. Like, you're still gonna face heartache, there's gonna be grief, there's gonna be hardness and sadness all wrapped up in the circumstances, but you can see that Jesus will sustain me through it all. That my foundation is not crumbling even though my marriage is. Because Jesus is the cornerstone, the rock of ages, as Martin Luther said, the mighty fortress. See, Jesus can bear the weight of your life. He's the only thing that can. See, what marriage is meant to be is to be building a life with that person, not on that person. See, a godly marriage is built upon Jesus with your spouse. And the key to a godly marriage is that you share the same foundation. That's why Apostle Paul talks about not being unequally yoked with unbelievers, right? We have to have the same foundation. If our marriage doesn't have the same foundation, there's all kinds of vulnerabilities, all kinds of of ailments that we're susceptible to. Now, people kind of push back on this, like if my, if my life is on, built on Jesus, does that really mean that I love my spouse, right? I, I feel like it would be more loving to like say, okay, my, my life is, my heart is so attached to you, I, I'm built upon you. Well, actually, the reality is that if your life is built upon Jesus, you're freed to love that person more. It, it's, it's the most loving thing for you to do for that person because that person doesn't feel the weight of your life constantly riding on them. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, it's so much more loving to say, Jesus is my foundation, and my life is built with you, but I'm not gonna put you in the position where I'm forcing you to be Jesus to me. Because you're just setting them up for failure. 
See, a a Jesus-centered marriage, a a marriage that is founded upon the solid rock of Jesus is a more joyful, more blessed, and ultimately will lead to more human flourishing than any other marital option that's out there. This is crazy because it means that even if you don't like, even if you look at your spouse and like, I'm not sure if we're soulmates, you still have a solid rock in which your marriage is built on that can uphold you through every every trial, every rough patch that you might go through. That's what it looks like with a marriage. And you, you can break this down with every other thing, your job, your kids, your missional community family. So the question here is like, if, if nothing else can, can bear the weight of my life besides Jesus, how then do I go about shifting my life to be upon the solid rock? How do I do this? How do I make Jesus my foundation? Well, verse 24 shows us, right? This is the way of the, the wise builder. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock, and the wise man's house is gonna stand. So what Jesus is saying here, there's more to, for Jesus to be the foundation of your life is more than just saying, yeah, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. It's just more than sort of a profession of here's what I believe to be true about Jesus, but actually that my whole life is centered upon him, that the totality of my life is resting upon him, that we become hearers. We hear and affirm what Jesus says and how he teaches us to walk in the good life, but we also become doers of the good life. We become doers of his word that our profession and our practice are married and unite Jesus says, listen, if, if you don't, if you aren't hearers and doers of my word, then your house is gonna collapse. He says, anybody, this is crazy. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be a foolish man. There's a, a totality of listeners here. Everyone who hears these words and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and it falls. How great the fall. Now when Jesus says this about his words, anybody who hears my words and doesn't do them, that ought to make you want to go back to the beginning of chapter five and start listening to Jesus all over again. We've been in it for months. We've been in this sermon on the mount for months and it's so easy to forget what Jesus is calling us into. And and listen, you can go back and and reread this. You can go back and listen to some of the sermons. You can do whatever you want. But let me just summarize here. Jesus is saying, your whole life is is composed of a bunch of different things. He talks about your devotion to God. He talks about your mission as salt and light in this world. He talks about your personal holiness. He talks about anger and lust and adultery. He talks about your commitment to others, to relationships, to prayer, the relationship you have with the Father. He talks about your relationship to money. He talks about anxiety and and not being people who judge unfairly. He talks about poor treatment of others. Treat others how you would want to be. Jesus teaches. His teaching encapsulates all of life. There's not a single facet of your life that Jesus isn't putting his finger on saying, hey, I want this to be built on me. See, in fact, Jesus, look at this. Jesus says, it's not just your spiritual life that I want. 
It's not just your religious life that I'm after. He's after your whole life from Sunday through Saturday. From, from your work ethic to your budget to the bedroom to the table to the gym, all of it. Jesus says, you should build it on me. What Jesus is after here, guys, this has been the theme of the whole Sermon on the Mount. He's after a whole life orientation toward God. This is the only way that you can be firmly fixed upon Jesus. That you have this entire alignment between your head, your heart, and your hands. You hear the words, you love the words, you do the words. That's how you fix your life on Jesus. There's no other shortcut, there's no other way to do it. To be hearers and doers of the word. Now, this critiques what's very common in contemporary evangelicalism. It's very common for us. It just like, this isn't actually anything new, honestly. This has been going on for millennium. That we partially build our life on Jesus. So, okay, so, all right, I can build my spiritual life on Jesus. I, I can be a good neighbor like Jesus wants me to, but the bedroom, nope. My money, nope. This relationship where I feel slighted, nope. We, we, we cherry pick, we pick and choose what we're going to build upon the rock of Jesus. And Jesus tells us that it's just as foolish as not building on any rock at all. It's like building a house on two different foundations, like alternating between solid rock and gravel and sand and rock. It doesn't make sense. Your house is gonna bow your house, and if it bows, it's eventually gonna break. See, Jesus is telling us that anything that is not built on him will end in utter destruction. Now, this is why Jesus is inviting us to build our lives upon him. He's like, everything else is insufficient for your life to be built upon. Now, those things can be part of your life. You can love those things. You can applaud them as the good gifts that God gives you. But for them to become the foundation, it's totally misappropriated uses of those things. Only Jesus can sustain, because that's why he's invited us, build your life on him, build your life on the solid rock. He's telling us, throw the whole weight of your life upon him, he can uphold you. Trust him, he can bear the weight. This is the essence of faith. Now a lot of people think faith is just some sort of like mythical, wishy-washy, blind jump into the abyss. But that is the opposite of what faith is. The opposite of what the Bible's vision of what faith is. See, faith is this, it's like right now, I'm leaning full-weightedly upon this pulpit. If it's not here, I'm fallen. This is what faith is. You put your full weight upon Jesus and he upholds you. And listen, the first act of faith in Jesus might, be, might feel kind of like a jump might feel like a leap. It's like, I'm not quite sure, I don't know. But you start doing it and you start feeling he's pushing back up on you. He's holding you. And the more you do that, the more you're like, I can depend, I can trust, I can go. That's what faith is. See, the Christian life is a life of increasingly putting your faith upon Jesus. And if we examine our lives, everybody in this room can say, there are parts of my life that are not on Jesus right now. Whether you've been walking with the Lord for 50 years, you're a brand new Christian or even not even a Christian. Oh, that's obvious. Like, yeah, of course not. But 
There are places in our life that aren't yet put upon Jesus. He's inviting us, put the whole of your life on Jesus. Now, faith isn't something that only Christians do. In fact, everybody is operating out of some sort of faith assumption. Every single person, whether they're an atheist, agnostic, Mormon, Christian, whatever. Everybody is exercising faith to some degree. Everybody's putting their weight on something. Again, Jesus says, can it hold you? Now the only wise choice, what Jesus is getting at here, the only wise choice for us is for Jesus to be our foundation because everything that's built on him lasts through eternity. If your foundation is built on anything other than Jesus, either the storm will expose its vulnerability and, and deteriorate or the weight of your life will inevitably crush them. And you're left like the fool who has built his house on the stand and it says, how great the fall. Now it doesn't mean it wasn't a great house. Could have been a beautiful house. The foundation isn't Jesus, it collapses. Now, by some miracle, the question of the storms here. Again, it's, it's not if the storms come, it's when the storms come, and to what extent, what degree they come. If by some miracle, you are able to weather this life, if, if you're able to get through this life relatively unscathed, that you can persevere through conflict and, and disruption, you can say to yourself, listen, I, I've built a good life for myself without Jesus' help. I don't, I don't really need Jesus. I, I have this sense of accomplishment. It's like, well, okay. You might make it through this life. But there's one storm that you cannot make it through on your own. Right, there's one storm that you can't point to your competencies and your skills and your ability to keep it all together that you cannot make it through. Because one day, you will stand before God and give an account for your life. And everything will be laid bare before him. And anything that's not pure, anything that's not uh, completely intact and solid will peel away. It'll be laid bare. And in that moment, self-righteousness will collapse underneath the derecho of God's, love, God's wrath. Whether that's your marriage, your own competencies, your job, it all fall apart. Now, what Jesus is saying is kind of severe. He's been saying a lot of really hard stuff. In fact, I think chapter seven might be like the most hard things in a condensed area that Jesus has said in all of his ministry. A lot of hard things. But let me tell you what, this is not scare tactics. Jesus is not using fear to twist your arm this is an appeal of compassion in the midst of the inevitable. See, Jesus is a realist. It's like if you follow the way that you're living out to its fullest extent, it's going to lead to your demise. It's the most compassionate thing you can say. It's like, it's like what I talked about with uh, Penn Teller or Penn and Teller. Who, it's like if a bus is coming, the most loving thing to do is get you out of the way, to push you out. Say, hey, look out. That's what Jesus is saying. He's not trying to scare you. He's trying to tell you about the reality of what's coming. If you reject Jesus, if you hear his words but don't build your life on them, your life will both suffer now and eternally. 
But Jesus' desire, the reason why he, he, he cautions us, the reason why he calls us to action, to move our life over to the solid rock is because he desires your flourishing. Jesus is for you. Jesus wants what's best for you even when you don't understand what that is. He doesn't want your destruction. He wants you to live life to the fullest. That's why he came. And the, no, the way that we know that this is true, that Jesus' desire is to this end, that he wants us to flourish, he wants to have a, a life that stands into eternity, is because Jesus was destroyed for us. Listen, check this out. In the story, Jesus is the wise builder who builds his life upon the rock of God's word. He does everything that God, he says, everything that I do, I do it because the Father has commanded me to do it. Jesus is the wise builder. And guess what happens? See, Jesus would have been entitled to living that, that good life, right? The life that stood up forever into eternity. But what happened instead, he's like, okay, I will be crushed for the fools. I will be crushed for the people who build their life on other insufficient things who are relying on those things to uphold them. I'm going to lay my life down for people who are really just a bunch of dummies. That's me. He heard the word of God, he did the will of his father, he stepped into the good life, but at the cross, he took our place under the storm of God's wrath. See, at the, at the cross we see everything that we put as our foundation starts to deteriorate. Everything falls apart. It can't sustain the weight, and the fall of Jesus' house in our place was catastrophic. His life was unraveled for ours. Because even if we want to hear and obey, even if we want to do this like to the, to the most earnest desire of our heart, we're incapable of doing this perfectly. We try it, we fail. There's little cracks in the foundation. That's why our foundation has to be Jesus. Anything other than Jesus will let us down. But if Jesus is the solid rock which our life is built, it lasts. Now today, Jesus is inviting you, whether it be for the first time or the bazillionth time, to move all of your life, all of your weight over onto him. Like this is like a all-in scenario. I'll push all the chips in front of you. I'm, I'm putting all my, I'm making all my hope, all my trust, all my reliance upon Jesus. That's the invitation. And some of you, this is really relevant, like you might be in a storm right now, you might be feeling the wind and the water crashing against your house and you feel like there's a lot of instability going on. And Jesus says, hey, it's not too late. There's still time. As long as you have breath right now, you have time to move to a new foundation, to align yourself with the words that Jesus has given us to take action. See, a faith that doesn't take action, a faith that doesn't act upon Jesus' words, James tells us is a dead faith. It's not real, it's not genuine, it's not authentic, right? If, if your practice doesn't line up with your profession, there's something broken here. But if we're able to hear the words of Jesus, to love the words of Jesus, and to build our lives upon the words of Jesus, then his promise is, that we'll stand. 
that we can weather the storm, that our lives will last into eternity. Now, don't be mistaken about this. Faith isn't a work that we do. Faith is a gift that God gives us, which we then act on, okay? There, it's really complicated in some ways. Wish I had more time to unpack this. Jesus doesn't say, hey, get to work and put your faith in me. Like, he, he's not saying to us, think of it this way, like, okay, my gym that I go to, how much time do I have for this? I got time. The gym that I go to, there's a big pull-up rig, okay? And they've mounted th- this rig, pull-up bar stuff, onto this brick wall. It was a little questionable. Actually, I'll tell you what. I was doing some pull-ups here, and I know you guys are like, oh, this guy CrossFits. Like, I couldn't tell. You're right. <laughs> I was doing pull-ups on this bar, and all of a sudden I see it starts pulling out from the wall. Like, uh uh-oh, I'm about to land on my butt. See, if we think of faith as in I need to anchor myself into Jesus, then we're missing something. Like, faith is not me first anchoring myself into the foundation. True faith is realizing that it's Jesus who anchors himself into us. That it's not us who sink the bolt in, it's Jesus who sinks us with the bolt and holds us to himself. And when we see the way that Jesus has his grip on us, we can't help but then to grab back. It's like my kids. It's like I got little kids, and we're walking around. It's like when we're walking next to the street, I've got their hand in mine. I'm holding on tight. They might try to squirm away from me, but, but I've got my hand on tight. But I know that when they trust me the most, when they see, okay, I see that he has me, they're willing to put their hand back in mine. See, that's what faith looks like. Jesus has us tight, but the question is, will you grip back? Will you squeeze his hand as he squeezes on to yours? See, this is the primary realization of the Christian faith, is that it's not us who holds on to Jesus, it's Jesus who's holding on to us. It's Jesus who keeps us tethered to the solid rock. And it's in that security, it's in that trust, that we were then able to grip back. See, this is the kind of life that Jesus is inviting us into. That deep trust, that full weight of my life resting upon Jesus, only he can bear it. Now, I've asked you to be kind of introspective about your own heart, your own life, what what these functional foundations are. And I pray that the Spirit would be working in a way that, that leads you to repentance because these functional foundations aren't something like, oh yeah, I can live with that or something that we sort of like tolerate in our lives. Jesus is saying like, no, no, no repent, turn away from those things and put your whole life on me. Jesus isn't calling a truce with the functional foundations. He's actually poking holes in them and it's in his grace that he does that. So in being introspective, I'm praying the Lord leads us to repentance but here's here's one final push that I wanna leave. It's something that the Spirit's been stirring in my heart here. That if you're a person that's been fixed on the foundation of Jesus, Right? You, you come to know Jesus, you see him as a sure foundation for your life that he will uphold you no matter what. There's this tendency that we might get, we look at other people in our lives that we know and we love that clearly they don't have their foundation upon Jesus. And we, we become critical, we become judgmental, condemning toward them. 
Like, oh, this person, they don't have their, their life's gonna fall apart. And I wanna present to you that that's not the spirit of a Christian. Somebody who's been founded on the rock of Jesus looks at somebody whose life is built on sand and has compassion for them. This says, like, I'm gonna move toward you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come at you in the most gracious way that I know how and show you, brother, sister, the foundation that your life is built on will ruin you. And I wanna invite you to see Jesus. I wanna invite you to see somebody who will never let you down, who will never let your life collapse. So we look at other people in a non-condemning way and we graciously, with gumption, because like, who knows when the storm's gonna come? Who knows how much time we have left? So there's gumption, there's this, this gracious urgency that we have as we live on mission for people that we know and love, that they would see Jesus, that they would know him as trustworthy, and they too, like us, would move all their chips onto the table, say, trust you, Jesus. He's the only one that can uphold us. It's the only hope that we have, guys. This morning as we come to the Lord's table, that, that's one of the realities that, that we bask in. It's like this meal that points to the crucified Savior, the body broken, the blood shed of Jesus, testifies that my only hope of making it through this life and the next, boom, is writing on that. The love of my Redeemer that keeps me and upholds me. And so I pray as you come to the Lord's table, first of all, you would search your heart and examine the ways where there's functional foundations that you're building your life upon. Repent, turn away from those. And turn toward Jesus. Say, Lord, I I want all of my life to be on you. And take this meal knowing that, first of all, you're loved, that Jesus is holding on to you, and he's for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. God, we give you so much thanks that the Christian life is not necessarily up to us to hold on, but it's on, upon Jesus and his strong grip. I pray, Father, that this morning the words of Jesus, the heart of Jesus would be so appealing to us that the next logical thing for us, the only logical thing for us would be to put our whole life upon him. to identify the ways which we've built on sand, to turn from them, and have Christ be our foundation, our all in all, the solid rock in which we stand, God. I pray that you would do this in in the lives of the individuals. I pray that you would do this in the context of our missional communities and our church, that there would be no other foundation. As Paul tells us, there's no other foundation for a church except for Jesus. Help us to build our life. Help us to be wise builders. Help us to hear your words and to be doers of them for our good and for your glory. Amen.